fingers. They make sparks. Okay, that's it. Let's get ready to welcome this guy. Here he comes. much has happened since I last saw you. Lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. Loki, Lo Loki's alive, can you believe it? He's, uh, he's up there. Loki, look who it is! In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 130, Thor Ragnarok. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge welcome back to all of you wonderful, amazing returning listeners. Welcome all you brand new listeners to this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. No matter how you found this podcast, I'm so grateful that you're here for literal Ragnarok. Possibly the end of my podcasting career. But if Serta takes us out now, at least we go out with a bang because I have with me an amazing special guest. So I need to say welcome to a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give it to him anyway. He is the future king of Asgard. M, like real fire, he is like smouldering fire. He came to start a revolution, but he didn't print enough pamphlets. He's the new Doug, because let's not forget, Doug's dead. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Sam from Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. Welcome to Verbal Diorama. Now kneel before your queen. Hello! I come from the land of Z and snow with the midnight sun where the hot springs flow. Yes, hello, Em. I am so excited to be here. Hello, listeners. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Sam. I'm kind of like the leader in here. I'm made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid, unless you're made of scissors. Just a little rock, paper, scissors joke for you. 
<laughs> Hi, Sam. <laughs> I think I've broken him. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that. However, I can confirm, listeners, because he's on video, he is kneeling for his queen. So... <laughs> Because obviously you would. Um, of course, I, absolutely. Unfortunately, I'm really sorry, Sam. Unfortunately, I am not Kate Blanchett. Uh, yeah, I you know. know. I'll, I'll be be completely honest. We all want to be Kate Blanchett, <laughs> but we can't. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm genuinely because this has been probably the longest gestating guest appearance in all of podcast history. We were talking before we started recording and <laughs> you reminded me that we kind of talked about this and arranged this pretty much a year ago. That is right. <laughs> Listeners, I sent some angry messages to Em when she started doing Marvel films and said, Em, I, you've been on my podcast. You've listened to my podcast. You know how much of a Marvel nerd I am. I need to be on these Marvel episodes. You need to bring me over. You need to unleash me. And that was a year ago. She said, oh, cool. Yeah, you come next Christmas. You can do Thor Ragnarok. And I was like, cool, sweet. But even before that, Em's been a guest on our podcast. I, um, you know, I when I first started listening to Verbora Diorama, when she first started, before I even met Em, before she even had an idea for a podcast, I wanted to be on this podcast. I've been dreaming <laughs> about this since I was a little boy, listeners. To finally be on a podcast that I've been thinking about for like 25 30 years, it's unbelievable. I'm so excited to be here. So happy. I'm going to get my hammer out and start swinging it around very soon. I'm that excited. Please don't get your hammer out. Please. <laughs> Especially because I can see your video. Please do not get your hammer out. Hey, it's small, but <laughs> this it's This is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's hammer it is time, true. baby. It's hammer time. <laughs> it is true. I, I have been on your podcast. I've been on your podcast twice. It's always the most fun experience because I really get to let loose and have a great time. We have so much fun and I love you and I love everyone who works on your podcast. Apart from, you know, Kahu said some very disputable things about Keanu Reeves. But, you know, we're, we're not here to talk about that. No, no, uh, no, no. Because, you know, I don't want to. But, uh, and I'm still very disappointed in him. But otherwise, I am so happy that you're here. And I know it's been a long time. And be, it's basically because of this whole Christmas thing that I wanted to do. Mm. And I always had this plan. I was going to do the Thor movies in the run up to Christmas. And so when, <laughs> because I know you're really keen on Thor Ragnarok. And Thor Ragnarok was always the movie that you really wanted to do. And, and then it was like, yeah, 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 absolutely come on for Thor Ragnarok. But you're going to have to wait a little bit. And, uh. But, you know, I know that you were a bit upset and there were some tears and, you know, you had to go to counselling and all of that. But I think you're finally over it now. Yeah. And I think now is the time to get you on Verbal Diorama to talk about Thor Ragnarok. Um, Absolutely. I'm so, so excited to be here. <laughs> I have a very special relationship with this film. So I'm going to tell my, my little in-story before, before we get into the usual stuff. So my wife uh, was living in Australia for a couple of months, and she went to a premiere of Hunt for the Wilder People, which was Taika Waititi's film before this film. And they did a... Taika Waititi was there, Sam Neill was there, getting absolutely drunk out in the bar, uh, smashed, you know, like a couple of the other stars from Hunt for the Wilder People were there. And so I said to her, 
whatever you do, can you please hit up Taika Waititi and ask him if I can be in the film? Because look, I'm from New Zealand, as you guys can tell by my accent. Everybody knows each other. We're all mates, you know? Like, Taika's probably related to me somehow. It's, it's that type of... <laughs> oh my god, I'm saying very inbred things about my country here, but everyone like knows each other. It's probably a better way to describe it. So so Stacy, my wife, beloved wife, went up, didn't do it at the Q&A, but went up to Taika Waititi after the movie and went up and said, hey, hi, my name's Stacey. Just so you know, my husband Sam is like the biggest Marvel fan. Can he please be in for Ragnarok? And Taika Waititi looked at her and goes, yeah, sure, here you go. Here's, here's the card of the casting director. Tell him, tell him, hurry up. Tell him, Keen, sweet ass, let's do it. And so I was going to be in this film. The closest I've come to being in a film, well, you know, a legal film that should be allowed on the internet, um, the closest <laughs> I've been to a film is being in The Fall of Ragnarok. But of course, me being me, I got too scared. I had to fly to Australia. Who wants to go to Australia? Come and, so now using this as a platform to petition Taika Waititi, please come and film a, a Marvel movie in New Zealand, Taika. You need to do this. Yes, I'm totally starting a revolution on this podcast and taking it in different directions the revolution has begun listeners revolution has begun <laughs> i am excited Absolutely. that you're here i do and say a lot of things so yeah fair enough well so do i and this is one of the reasons why i really feel like this episode is probably going to be a little bit on the lengthier side because not only are we both people who like our voices and like to use our voices uh, which is obviously good if you've got a podcast because you know, if you've got a podcast and you don't like to use your voice, then it's not going to be a very good podcast, is it? But also, there's so much to talk about with this movie. Literally so much. So, much. so let's just jump straight in. Uh, what I will do is I will use the power of podcasting editing magic and I'll pop a little trailer right here. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. Where I met you. Where are we? You have no idea. Hello, the goddess of death has invaded Asgard. Oh, I've missed this. And you and I had a fight recently. Did I win? No, I won easily. Doesn't sound right. Well, that's true. Asgard is dead. And it'll be reborn in my image. I thought you'd be glad to see me. We need to stop her here and now to prevent Ragnarok, the end of everything. So we're putting together a team. Like the old days. Surprise! This is going to be such fun. Hello. Hi. He's a fighter. a queen or a monster. I'm the goddess of death. What were you the god of again?
the same, you and I. Just a couple of hot-headed fools. Yeah, same. Hulk like fire, mm. Thor like water. Oh, kind of both like fire. But Hulk like raging fire, Thor like smoldering fire. <laughs> Four years after defeating the Dark Elves and two years after the fight in Sokovia, Thor returns to Asgard to find his brother Loki masquerading as Odin. The brothers find their father who leaves this mortal realm and emerging from his end, a new threat rises, their sister Hela, goddess of death, who plans to take over Asgard and rule malevolently as their father did before he decided to become a benevolent king. Thor finds himself trapped on the planet Sakaar and in order to get home, he must compete in a gladiator match against the defending champion of the Grandmaster. Little does Thor know is that the champion is his old friend and fellow Avenger, Hulk. Teaming with Hulk, his trickster brother Loki and Scrapper 142 and Asgardian Valkyrie, Thor must return to Asgard in time to stop Hela and prevent the approaching Ragnarok. Dun dun dun. We will quickly go through the cast. This is a huge cast in this movie. We have Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Kate Blanchett as Hela, Idris Elba as Heimdall, Jeff Goldblum as the Grand Master, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, Carl Urban as Scourge, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, aka Hulk, Anthony Hopkins as Odin, Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Stephen Strange, Rachel House as Topaz, Taika Waititi as Korg and motion capture for Surtur, Clancy Brown as the voice of Surtur, Tadanobu Asano as Hogan, Ray Stevenson as Volstagg, Zachary Levi as Fandral. They don't last very long in this movie. Cameos by Stan Lee, Sam Neill, Matt Damon, Luke Hemsworth and Scarlett Johansson through archival footage from Avengers Age of Ultron. Thor Ragnarok was written by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle and Christopher L. Yost. It was directed by Taika Waititi and it was based on Thor by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber and Jack Kirby. So, Sam, you listen to episodes of this podcast just generally you enjoy it in your spare time you probably listen to several episodes a day I imagine and general episodes of this podcast because they're just me on their own I can basically go through all of the production history and tell you all of the facts that you might need to know it's a little bit different when a guest comes on because it'd be a bit boring if a guest comes on and it's just me talking about production history and just stuff because then the guest's got nothing to say so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, I call it a brief production history, but to be perfectly yep. honest, uh, it's not particularly brief because uh, <laughs> there's a lot to say uh, about the making of this movie. And then we're just going to jump straight into just a general kind of discussion. This episode is the finale of Christmas 2021. It is a celebration of white guys called Chris in Hollywood last year. I did Chris Evans and his glorious Captain America trilogy. And this year, everyone's other favourite Hollywood Chris. The previous two episodes, which as of recording this, haven't actually been recorded yet because that's how podcasting sometimes works. But let's pretend they have been. The previous two episodes, which were brilliant, weren't they, Sam? Amazing. Amazing oh, episodes the best podcast on Thor. I've never heard. It was amazing. <laughs> Thor, Thor on those two Thor movies. And Thor Ragnarok is both a sequel and technically a reboot and despite it being a reinvention of Thor, focusing on Chris Hemsworth's excellent comedic timing, it is the darkest and the most thematic Thor movie to date. Obviously, the primary cast and Taika Waititi will be returning in 2022 for Thor Love and Thunder, which is going to be awesome. Let's and be I'm honest. And I'm going to be back on that episode, listeners. I'm coming back. 
You can come back me. for Thorn I will, of the I'll Thunder. I'll record my own no. episode and send it in and <laughs> hack over her system. But I am coming back. You can absolutely come back for Thor, Love and Thunder. I promise you. This is Good. a stone cold guarantee. And it's recorded now and I won't cut it out. So everyone will know that you're going to come back for Thor, Love and Thunder. Yay! So, <laughs> so the characters of Thor and Hulk were notably absent from the events of Captain America's Civil War. And obviously, for last year's Christmas episodes, they are episodes 71, 72 and 73 from last December. And they are all on the Captain America trilogy. The events of Ragnarok are set around the same time as Captain America's Civil War. They are four years after Thor The Dark World. A series of short film mockumentaries titled Team Thor, Team Thor Part 2 and Team Daryl, written and directed by Waititi, show what Thor did after saving the Earth in Avengers Age of Ultron, with Thor moving in with Australian roommate Daryl Jacobson, and they were filmed before filming for Thor Ragnarok began in July 2016. And Daryl would eventually become roommates with the Grandmaster post the events of Thor Ragnarok. Thor The Dark World had come out in autumn 2013 and in January 2014, Marvel announced the screenplay for a third Thor movie was being written and that October, Kevin Feige confirmed the title would be Thor Ragnarok. Both Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston were confirmed to return. The Dark World's director, Alan Taylor, refuted claims that he was going to return, citing creative differences with Marvel in the post-production of The Dark World. Listen to the previous episode on Thor The Dark World, which has definitely come out and been recorded for (laughs) more on that. (laughs) in October 2015 Taika Waititi ended negotiations to direct and created a sizzle reel using clips from movies tonally similar to what he wanted for his vision for Thor Ragnarok this sizzle reel which included clips from Big Trouble in Little China as well as Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song really impressed Kevin Feige and sizzle reels are not the usual way you'd get a directing gig at Marvel but let's be honest, Taika Waititi is not your normal average director. He's better <laughs> than that. He's more about the art than the money. Yeah. And Thor Ragnarok, for all its big budget ideas, it doesn't actually sacrifice on the art. This is very much a B-movie in A-movie clothing. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean that completely positively. Mark Ruffalo confirmed his involvement in October 2015, meaning that Bruce Banner and or Hulk would also be returning. Planet Hulk had been an idea that they'd mooted for this Thor movie because Thor being primarily set in space and the last we saw of Hulk, he was flying away in a Quinjet, meant that it could be feasible for Hulk to also be in space and the idea of gladiatorial games with Thor and Hulk both involved was too much of a good thing to pass up. In fact, many fans thought that Planet Hulk was going to end up a movie in its own right, but due to Marvel co-owning the rights for Hulk with Universal Studios, and those specific rights mean that the character can play a supporting role in Marvel Studios movies, but cannot be the lead in those movies. Stephanie Folsom was hired to work on the script in December 2015 and was originally set to receive a story credit alongside the writing team of Carlin Yost and Pearson as sole screenwriter. However, her credit was denied by the Writers Guild of America due to their regulation that a maximum of two individuals can receive story credit with an allowance for a writing team to count as one individual. Pearson and the writing team of Carlin Yost received the story by credit instead, and this was updated again to have Pearson, Carlin Yost as receiving screenwriting credit. So that is why Stephanie Folsom is not credited on this movie, despite being heavily involved in this movie. The sets for Doctor Strange were going to be demolished, so Taika Waititi wrote and filmed the scenes where Thor meets Stephen Strange before they were demolished. 
This would also be Doctor Strange's first meeting with someone from the wider MCU before the events of Infinity War and would also be included in the post-credits tease for Doctor Strange, which came out a year before Thor Ragnarok. Filming for Thor Ragnarok, as I said, began in July 2016 and while Natalie Portman would not be returning, and indeed none of the Earth-based characters would be returning, Idris Elba and Anthony Hopkins would, and so would The Warriors 3. Despite Jamie Alexander confirming her return early on, scheduling conflicts would prevent Lady Sif from returning to Asgard. Although, considering the fate of The Warriors 3, that's probably a good thing for her. The film was primarily shot in Australia, with the Brisbane Central Business District doubling as Manhattan, as well as in New Zealand. Waititi, who's Maori, made it a priority to hire Indigenous and Aboriginal Australians, as well as New Zealanders on the crew. The additional scenes were shot in Atlanta in July 2017, including Loki's play, as Matt Damon was in New York and agreed to shoot it because it would be a lark. And of course, Loki would want Oscar winner Matt Damon playing him, and of course he'd want Chris Hemsworth's brother to play Thor, and who doesn't want Sam Neill in your play as well. Other scenes we shot include the scene in the trailer showing where Thor and Loki find Odin in New York, and Hela emerges in an alley. It was decided to change the location to Norway, giving Odin a more peaceful death, and allowing the pace to slow before Hela emerges and then destroys Mjolnir. ILM returned to the visual effects for Hulk, adding more detail to the character's face and body due to his expanded role and increased dialogue. An on-set body double was sprayed with green paint and used as a reference point. Luma Pictures provided the shots for Korg and Meek. Method Studios provided the opening shots with Surtur, as well as the environment on Sakaar and the Devil's Anus. And everyone knows that Thor's line about a friend from work was suggested by a Make-A-Wish child. I did try and find out that child's name, but it was never disclosed. But how amazing for that critically ill child to make such a difference to such a huge and fantastic movie. I bet their family is immensely proud. And that is, <laughs> that is the end of all of my blurb. So now we can just go on and talk about this amazing movie, if you want. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well done, Im. That was amazing. Oh my god, that was so much stuff. That was uh, so much stuff. <laughs> that was so much stuff, Im. You did such an amazing job, as always. Loved so it. much Love stuff. I sent you a list of some discussion points, one or two discussion points for this movie, and then it turned out that this one or two discussion points actually, I, I mean, is there like twenty? I don't know. I didn't count them. But there's quite a few. So... Understatement of the year, listeners. It was like doing my homework. I was like, what <laughs> is this? Look, if you're going to come on this podcast, you need to do your homework. That's the point of this podcast. It's all about making sure your homework's done, making sure you're a good girl, making sure you don't get detention, all of those really cool things that we all did at school. <laughs> that is yeah. the point of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, hey, look, I run a podcast where we ask 20 questions about things and I get listeners, I get people on to, you know, that have already done their research and already answered those questions for us. So it's only fair. It's only fair. I'm, I'm keen to be here and discuss all this. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the first thing that we really need to talk about is this movie basically reinvents Thor. Yes, absolutely. So it takes the character that we had in that first Thor movie in 2011 and the second Thor movie in 2013 and it basically turns the character and turns his situation and his home and what he believes in and what he holds true and his family and everything basically on its head. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm Like as I said, massive, massive Marvel fan, I've read the comics, all that sort of stuff. I'm like a, like a full Marvel nerd and 
Thor as a character has always been kind of silly. Like, you know, like when Iron Man says, oh, Shakespeare in the park sort of thing. That's basically what he is like as a character in the comic books. Like he's, you know, speaks in these old Shakespearean tones and stuff like that. And they tried a little bit of that in the first two films. But this one, you know, you bring on a comedic director like Taika Waititi that knows how to hit you of the poignancy and, you know, you know, have you laughing once one scene and then have you going, oh, what the hell? And the next one. But you bring on someone like him, you throw these guys into the mix and it becomes such a more satisfying Thor. Like, I, I enjoyed the first one. I pretty, you know, take it or leave it on the second one. In fact, it's probably bottom five, bottom one of the MCU for me. But the um, but this film was the one where I was like, Taika Waititi is going to smash this. He's going to reinvent Thor. He's going to make him this, like, still this force of strength and everything like that, but still with a little bit of, you know, like, weakness because... Four in a lot of ways is like Superman. You know, like if there's only one or two little weak parts to him, it's hard to be engaged in the character. It's hard to find interest in him. Same with Hulk. Like Hulk's this like unstoppable killing machine, but to actually start seeing them have these human sides as well as comedic sides, oh, it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. I'm going to cut myself off now before I say everything that Em's probably going to say. So Em, why don't you talk? Why don't you say something? No, but that's the thing. I've done quite a lot of talking, so you feel free to say as much as you like. <laughs> This is your arena. Just consider me like the Grand Master. You are my champion. This is the arena for you to shine in. And this is you, the reason why I wanted you on this podcast. If you're because the Grand Master, do you also have an orgy ship, Em? Do you have an orgy ship? Is, is that why you're the Grand Master? Or? I mean, that is private. And I told you that in confidence. I also invited you on it and you said no. <laughs> I couldn't handle all the fireworks, Em. It's too much fireworks. <laughs> seriously i don't want this podcast to be just me talking because um it might as well just be a normal episode of this podcast yeah, let's be honest no. <laughs> so you can absolutely feel free to basically say whatever you like <laughs> as much as you like that's kind oh, of the yeah, point of you being here <laughs> <laughs> but i think you are right in a sense that this character has had this place in the mcu up to this point where he has been kind of the more, you know, if you look at the first Avengers movie, for example, he's like, you know, a little bit more serious and he's not my brother and he's adopted and, and all of those things. And, and it's kind of like these little moments where the comedy is trying to come through and it, it kind of works. And I love the first Avengers movie. You know, I still watch it all the time. I still think it's brilliant. But the character of Thor is kind of, not really as prevalent in that movie or, or in, in Age of Ultron. Um, he's, he's kind of a bit more of a background character in a sense that those movies are so hyper-focused on Robert Downey Jr. just anyway, because, you know, he's Robert Downey Jr. Of course they would be. But I feel like the character has really struggled to find his niche a little bit in this kind of really hyper ultra kind of masculine thing that this this guy is supposed to be you know he's supposed to be the future king of asgard he's supposed to be literally the best of men he's supposed to be an amazing fighter he's handsome you know all of these really cool things that literally all men want to be all men want to be chris hemsworth literally yeah. every man <laughs> wants to be chris hemsworth for this very reason but chris hemsworth is genuinely a really funny guy like, you watch him yep. in other movies, he's brilliant. His comic timing is superb. And I'm so pleased, actually, that they took Thor in this direction, that they gave Thor a bit more of a... It's not even really slapstick. 
it kind of is slapstick, but Chris Hemsworth just kind of elevates it. It's not silly. It's it's just like out and out comedy. Um, yeah. And I really like that they they've given him that to do because he is that kind of actor who, yes, is incredibly attractive and looks nice with his top off, but he's also really funny. And literally every man in the world is like, oh my God, he is literally the guy that has it all. And he really is, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> he I know. really it, is the it, guy it that has it all. Legitimately, it is a problem. It's like, it's, it's hard to be too because he's been so charismatic and he's so likable. And it's like, as a, as a pretty average dude, you look at someone like that and you're like, man, I wish I was him. But at least I'm funny. And then you see someone like this and you're like, oh, come on, man. Leave something <laughs> for me. Leave something. Maybe I'm smarter than him. Maybe that, maybe, you know, like, I don't know. I'm clutching at straws here. I've got to be better than this guy in some way, shape or form. Like, <laughs> it's kind of slapstick comedy, but it's also that Taika Waititi just absurdist comedy. Like anyone who's seen Eagle vs. Shark or Boy or Hunt for the Wilder People or What We Do in the Shadows, you know, it's you're either a massive fan of his stuff or you're in a super fan like me. So there's, there's no middle ground. You can't. I don't. I've never met anyone that's like I don't like Taika Waititi. I don't like his comedy. I don't like his stylings or anything like that. And I just find it's, it's just this absurdist where scenes play out. You know, like um, like Valkyrie walking out of his ship and falling off the side of it because she's too drunk and stuff like that. And you know, like having scenes with Hulk strolling past in front of him naked and, you know, he's like, oh yeah, I saw that sort of thing. Like there's this sort of like weirdness about it that's, it's played for laughs, but it's not like, it's not like an Adam Sandler sort of played for laughs where it's so in your face and all the characters are laughing and all that sort of stuff. They just, they just let it, he just lets it roll. He just lets it roll out. And to have Chris Hemsworth come in and just to get all that, especially because I read somewhere that 80% of the film was ad-libbed. So, you know, mm. they just threw out there anything and everything. You know, they encouraged that on the set. I mean, I've, I've seen production photos of the set. Most of them is Taika Waititi sleeping in a chair. So <laughs> I don't know what the hell was going on there. But to let his actor, like Chris Hemsworth, who's got so many lines he has to deliver in such a sort of surreal and absurd tone, and to have Chris Hemsworth just deliver them with charisma at the same time, like downplaying them and stuff like that. Like, there's only, there's only one scene I feel where you kind of see something slipping through, which is when they're talking about how Hulk's a raging fire and, like, four is a smoldering fire or whatever, and Chris Hemsworth starts smiling. And you could tell they probably filmed about 17 scenes of that, and each one of them, Hemsworth was like, I just can't get through this. I can't get through this. <laughs> so they've used the one where he's, like, smiled a bit, so you can see a little bit of the breaking character, but, oh, I can't say enough about him. I can't say enough about Chris Hemsworth. can't say enough about how well he they've reinvented this character. They've taken this, like... Like, as you mentioned, you know, he was never the, the centre of attention in the Avengers movies. So his own his first two films, he was trying to be that stoic, but, you know, like a little bit stoic, but a little bit sort of naive, you know, foolish kid, you know, who's sort of like, you know, throw the hammer first and then ask questions later type guy. And then they just turned him into this, which was like the biggest career development. It, like by the time he gets introduced into in-game and infinity war or get sorry by the time he gets introduced into affinity war you're like oh god yes here he is this is my man it is almost like a complete 180 for this character and it's earned it's deserved it's not like oh you know he was stoic for the first two movies and then we just decided to change him it, it feels like a natural uh, evolution for the character that you know he's been through so much up to this point Let's be honest, although this is a funny movie, and it is hilarious, it's a movie about some really 
serious things. And it doesn't gloss over those things either. It would be really no. easy for this movie to to gloss over colonialism and whitewashing and all of that sort of stuff. And it doesn't do that. It dwells on it. But it doesn't dwell on it at the sake of taking away some of the humour. Because I kind of feel like if you are going to talk about white people colonising places, you've kind of got to laugh about it in a way. Um, you know, yes, it was serious and lots of bad things happened because white people are the worst but you do kind of have to take the comedy out of that situation sometimes and based on that topic i kind of want to talk a little bit about hella because it's kate blanchett i mean this is a marvel movie and it has kate blanchett in it and she's amazing she is incredible for me i know marvel tend to have a bit of a villain problem you know if you look at the last thor movie with malekith i mean pretty bad as far oh. as villains go and and you know was villain it, motivation goes was it the villain i've like completely forgotten like <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you're like dark elves like who, yeah, who? <laughs> like, what's going on because you know let's be honest loki has always been he's not even really the villain but he's always been the, the kind of fun aspect of these movies, you know, a little bit of a trickster yeah. here and there. We're going to talk about Loki. Definitely we're going to talk about Loki because I love Loki. But Hela, for me, is really interesting because when you look at Phase 3 Marvel, there are some real standout villains. And the standout villains for me are Killmonger and Hela. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's obviously quite a lot of empathy you can have with both of those characters because they are kind of victims of circumstance, in a way. And obviously, I have done an episode on Black Panther, so I'm not going to go into the whole Killmonger thing. But I look at Hela, and I see a child of Odin who became more powerful than her father. Uh, a father who wanted to rule and wanted to kill and wanted... And basically trained his daughter to do all of those things. And then when she got too powerful, he locked her away. Yeah. Because he couldn't control her anymore. And so really, that's kind of all Hela has ever known. So the fact that Hela would come back and then want those things kind of actually makes a little bit of sense, you know? It, it kind of does. But for me, she just completely goes the wrong way about it. Like, she shows up, kills the Warriors 3, and then just starts murdering all the Asgardians. Like, she's already showed up and started murdering a couple. So it's like, you know, by the time she gets to Asgard, she's like, kneel before me. It's just like, well... You know, like, these are the people you're supposed to rule over. But at the same time, like, you're right. Like, she's only ever been bred for violence. So that's all she knows. That's all she's ever been taught. And then she's been locked away in a prison just, like, that's going to make you go insane. Lock somebody in solitary uh, for doing what they've been programmed to do. They're going to be like, what the hell? So it makes perfect sense when she shows up. I agree. Like, it's, you know, first of all, A, yes, she looks like every dream fantasy I had when I was 16 years old of what the perfect woman looks like. We'll just get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> but, but she was basically, like, she is, like, one of the greatest villains that we did get in Phase 3. You're right. Her and Killmonger, you know, that you can see where they're coming from. You know, like, as much as there's people out on the internet going on about how Thanos did nothing wrong, he was trying to save the universe, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff, you sort of get the same feeling from her, you know, like, if you tell it from her perspective, all the rest of these guys are the enemies, you know what I mean? Like, you could almost re-envision this entire film as being this poor, jilted woman who tries to, or jilted warrior, I should say, who's, like trying to get some redemption for herself. I mean, that's basically the story in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it mirrors Thor's story in a way because Thor's, 
historically got daddy issues, hasn't he? You know, he's yeah. always like comparing himself to his father. And am I going to be as good a king as my father is? And all of that stuff. Hella has hella daddy issues. Let's be honest. She is all about the daddy issues. She is annoyed because Odin locked her away. She was only doing what he wanted her to do. And then she got punished for it. So, you know, both of them, they are literally two sides of the same coin, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. It's just that Thor is a product of uh, Odin's benevolent rule and Hela is a product of his malevolent rule. So it kind of speaks to me a lot more in a sense of, not that I'm defending Hela, because let's be honest, she does kill hell of a lot of people and she is, oh, she is awesomely powerful as soon as she lands on asgard and you see her appearance change like her that black cat suit that you dreamed about when you were a 16 year old boy you know it gets those shades of green in in mm. this cat suit and you can just see her absorbing all of this power as soon as she lands on asgard because you know we're told that asgard is basically the source of her power and the longer she stays on asgard the more powerful she becomes and so she is literally, at one point, fighting every single warrior on Asgard. It's just her against every single warrior. And she destroys all of them. And it's awesome. Like, I know it's bad because it's like, oh, okay, she's killing all of these warriors. Um, but it's also awesome because of the fact of this is an extremely powerful woman who has been slighted by the men uh, in her life, or this one man in particular, and now she is literally, well, I want my destiny. My destiny was to yeah. rule. That's what my father said I was going to have. And now I want it. And if you're told by your parents that you are going to get something in life if you do this, uh, then you kind of expect that. So I probably have maybe a little more empathy towards Hella than most. But I just mm. think she's, I just think she's awesome. And she's Kate Blanchett. And yeah. she's incredible. I mean, this this woman, she looks phenomenal. She's one of the greatest actresses of her generation. And she's in a Marvel movie and she's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just love her. Right. And basically what we're saying is Odin is the real villain here, I think. In a lot of ways. Um, like, especially Blanchett's performance as well. Like, she is, like, they all, like... Okay, one of the biggest things about this film is quite a lot of the characters, the actors playing those characters, know exactly what film they're in. And her even more so. Like, she... Like, Kate Blanchett is often the best thing that she's... Uh, the best thing in the movies that she's in. And But when she shows up in this, and she's just sort of, like, almost purring and, you know, like, comical and over-exaggerated and all that sort of stuff. You know, like, in some films, you get Catwoman, but in this film, you get this, where it's just so... You know, like, it's, it's not Halle Berry and Catwoman. It's like Kate Blanchett and Ragnarok, where she's, like, done it to a level that is just so engaging and comical and it fits with the tone of the film and it's just just amazing. You're right, Kate Blanchett is one of the best actresses of our generation. I've got a massive, massive um, fandom of hers. She She's awesome. I just, yeah, I love her to bits. She's great. I kind of alluded to um, a little bit earlier about the kind of themes of this movie uh, about, you know, this, this is essentially a movie about colonialism and the, the spoils of war and the fact that, you know, history is written by the victors uh, of wars and oppression and all of that. And basically history is changed to suit whatever narrative that that person wants it to suit. So a lot of history is written from a white male perspective 
because they tended to be the people that always won out in the end. And I think the one thing I find quite interesting about Thor Ragnarok is that it does talk about these overarching themes of, you know, the spoils of war and colonialism. But the fact that Taika Waititi is essentially the MCU's first non-white director. He's obviously Mm. also of Maori heritage. So, you know, he's going to be someone who actually knows a little bit about the history of colonialism. This is also the first time he hasn't written a movie that he's directed. So although he directed this movie, obviously he didn't really have any say in in the actual writing of the movie either. Um, And it's not really a topic that I think can be discussed in a sense of, it's difficult to discuss the topic of something like colonialism from an indigenous point of view when you are not that indigenous person or, you know, people. Um, So it's kind of from a very white perspective, but I really do feel like this movie, as I say, it doesn't sugarcoat colonialism. Um, And it doesn't kind of skip over it either, but it doesn't dwell on it. I wondered basically what your thoughts were on kind of the themes this movie portrays, because they are actually really important things that this movie is actually trying to talk about. And the fact it kind of gets away of talking about the fact that Odin was essentially whitewashing uh, the history of Asgard and and of the Nine Realms. Yeah, I mean, like, I I live in New Zealand. Brief history of this country, we were uh, first indigenous people here with the Māori, and uh, obviously, as as Em said, uh, Taika Waititi is Māori. And uh, yeah, we were invaded by the Brits, and the local population got pretty short-changed. my ancestry of Scottish and Irish, so I know all about British people <laughs> or English people trying to colonise me as well. So it's, it's one of those things where he he you can tell he had a bit of an input into the story and you can tell that this it does feel like a metaphor for colonialism. I mean, like Valkyrie's, um, Valkyrie's ship that she's flying around in at the end is painted the same colours as the indigenous uh, population, the Aborigines of Australia, sort of thing. And he, and when Taika Waititi was making this film, he actually went out and got a lot of local Aboriginal companies and basically got them in to help make the film. So there was a lot of him using his position of privilege in a lot of ways to bring people in and offer them chances that they wouldn't normally have. Uh, Rachel House, who plays Topaz, I mean, that is a Rachel House is a Maori woman that's collaborated with Taika Waititi on quite a few of his films, like uh, Eagle vs Shark and Hunt for the Wilder People, and you look at something like that and you think to yourself, that's a role that probably would have gone to a, you know, C-level Hollywood celebrity that probably wouldn't have been filled by anyone of any note. And yet he went out and got her to be in that role, which I think is awesome. And there's another one of his um, usual collaborators that's on this as well that plays the guy that sort of shows up and says, hey, you you fighter or food? And he was like, get away from me or whatever. And he's like, oh, food. Like that, that guy is another one that Taika uses quite often in uh, his films as well. So... I feel like it, like we could talk about this for ages, but I do feel like there are some pretty poignant scenes where we do see, you know, the the grand hall ceiling, and we see that it's, it's sort of been whitewashed with this, like Odin being, you know, this, yeah, as you said, like this benevolent old king who, you know, like rules over the nine realms and everything's good and stuff like that. And there is there is that narrative we see that here in New Zealand that you know, like there's some people that would argue that Britain coming here and populating here was great for the country and you know brought technology and 
you know, different societal norms that we take for granted now and all that sort of stuff. Whereas you talk to indigenous populations in New Zealand and they'd completely disagree with you. And so I feel like this film does a really good job of that. And I do like how it sort of winks and nods at it. And then it's a bit more sort of full frontal on some of those issues. And it's, yeah, it's brave. You know what I mean? It's for, for people that are familiar with colonial history, it's something that you can recognize and be like, wow, that's a cool theme they've introduced to it. In a lot of ways, it's brave. But, I mean, for the average person who's like, yeah, I like Marvel movies. I'm an 18-year-old boy who doesn't really have any opinion on anything in the world. It's still fun. So, yeah. I think anyone can be forgiven for watching this movie in the cinema or at home with their family and just really enjoying it, laughing all the way through, getting to the end, because obviously it's very pretty as well. This movie is stunning to Mm. look at. But then getting to the end and then going, well, that was a really fun time. And then not thinking about it. And that's cool. Like, that's absolutely cool. I kind of make a point, because that's kind of what my podcast is about, I kind of make a point of looking into movies and finding out sort of the deeper themes and all of that stuff, because I'm interested in that. But if anyone wants to watch this movie and just really enjoy it for being a really fun, interesting, visually brilliant movie that will make you laugh, then that's cool. But there is a lot more to this movie that's there if you kind of look for it because i don't think it is immediately obvious um mm, agreed, and yeah. it's only if you kind of actually try and look for it that it is there but again i think that goes back to what you say that that's the genius of this movie that someone like toka waititi who obviously has this history and he knows what he's talking about can go to marvel and say i want to make this movie and i want to put these things in this movie that will nod to my personal history, you know, as a Maori. And it obviously kind of talks as well about the fact that Asgard isn't a place, it's a people. Mm. Let's be honest, this movie is brave for so many reasons. Because not only does it completely reinvent the character of Thor, it destroys everything that Thor built his life on. His life on Asgard was what he wanted. He wanted to rule, um, you know, and and the whole point of the first movie was for him to be worthy of that and linking it into his hammer. And if he's worthy of the hammer, then he's worthy of the throne. And then this movie basically says, well, you know, what we're going to do, actually, is we're going to take that hammer. We're going to take Mjolnir and we're going to destroy it at the start of this movie. Yeah. To prove a point that this is... This is not the Thor that you think it is. And yes, it was kind of spoiled by the trailer, but it's still really cool. Mm. So much of this movie was spoiled by the trailer, but I don't care because this movie is so cool. I don't care it was spoiled. And normally I don't say that, but this the fact that uh, Hela destroys Mjolnir, the fact that we get Hulk in this movie as well, it was all spoiled by the trailer. It takes everything that you think is important to Thor... And it basically tells you, actually, it's not. It's mm. it's, it's not important. Um, that Thor's power isn't linked to his hammer. He's not the god of hammers, which I still think is a brilliant line. And also, Anthony Hopkins, can we just say, Anthony Hopkins playing Loki, playing Odin, <laughs> is one of the greatest things in any Marvel movie ever. <laughs> I Absolutely. Love, I it love was... him as Loki playing Odin. It was amazing because him and, I believe, Idris Elba as well were both like, no, nah, we're done. We're not coming back. And then Taika Waititi yeah. managed to convince them to come back. And I, I think the 
the scene that convinced him would have been him going to Anthony Hopkins and being like, okay, we're going to get you pretending to be Tom Hiddleston or pretending to be Loki, pretending to play you. And I think he was like, well, can I have fun with it? And it's like, hell yeah, you can have fun with it. This is going to be awesome. And he does. Like that's It's a standout scene. I mean, there's a lot of standout scenes, but seeing him, you know, like getting terrified of the hammer coming towards him and, you know, or cheering on the plane and all that sort of stuff, you're like, oh yeah, this is cool. This is pretty funny. Can we talk about Loki now? Yes, hell <laughs> yeah, we, might we can. As well. We might as well, because Loki's the best. Yep. And I'm done. I'm spent. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do get help? <laughs> I'm not doing get help. <laughs> he's he's yeah. amazing. Okay, so the Loki TV series obviously padded out the character pretty well, and we got a, a lot more character development in that. But I I feel like the the real character development that we'd been missing from Loki was in this film. You know, you saw the degradation of the trickster you know i mean you saw it not degradation but you saw it the the slow removal of it you know when when we have that scene in the the elevator when the force says to him you know you tricked me and i put my faith in you and we go round around 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 and you know like i've always wanted you to be more than that sort of thing we we can see the the hiddleston facade like crumpling sort of thing of like wow man maybe i can but he still tries to trick him and then force said, oh you know i always thought you could be more blah 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 but then as it goes on, we see him standing up, you know, side by side. We'll do this together. Do you really think I should be going to Earth, brother? All that sort of stuff. We actually see him come to terms and accept what's going on. I think the catalyst for that was Odin basically saying, you know, was well, Odin dying. I feel like that was the catalyst. It was, it, it was amazing that he didn't immediately go, hey, sister, I'm your new best friend now. You know what I mean? Like they, they gave that character to Scourge, which I think was really good. So we got to see Loki on Sakaar, we've got to see Loki going, yes, now you know what it feels like, after Hulk picks him up, picks up Thor and starts banging him around the stadium and all that sort of stuff. There was a lot here that, like, I feel like if we hadn't had this film and we'd just gone straight into the Loki TV series, I feel like we would have just been like, nah, he's, he's too one-dimensional, he's too too much of a trickster, that's all he does sort of thing. So, um, it's, it's amazing that we have a film like this, which really centres around Thor, and yet he gets his Jews... Hulk gets his Jews, uh, Hello obviously gets his Jews, and then we've still got this like fourth character that still gets all of his Jews and all his character development as well. I mean, it's such a fine balancing act, and they did such a good job of it. Yeah. Oh, 100% agree. Um, the, the Loki TV show is great. Mm. In many ways, as much as I like the Loki TV show, and full spoilers uh, for everything to do with Marvel ever, <laughs> and I've done all the Avengers movies. Everyone knows what happens to Loki. Um, yeah. But in a way, I kind of lament the TV show a little bit because it's not this Loki. The Loki yeah. that we yeah. get in this movie, the development that we get from Loki throughout the Thor movies, throughout the Avengers movie, where he is basically the villain of the Avengers movie. We fully get to see his facade breaking in the dark world with his scenes with Frigga yeah. and the fact that his mother dies. And, you know, this is a character also with daddy issues. You know, the, the children of Odin all kind of suffer from the same daddy issues template. And Loki always struggled with the fact that he was adopted and that he didn't think that Odin valued him. And he didn't think that Thor valued him either. So for Thor to turn around to Loki and say, I thought the world of you, you were my brother. I thought we were going to be together and, you know, work together and do everything together forever. 
like you say, I think that it kind of switched. His brain just kind of switched at that point. But he's still Loki. He still gets on the ship with Korg, because I, I love Korg in this movie, uh, by the way. Yeah, it's just yeah. so much to love in this movie. Gets on the ship with Korg and Meek and off Sakaar, and then arrives on Asgard, and he's like, your saviour is here! And it's still <laughs> Loki. He is still Loki. But then he fights. He fights alongside his brother to protect the people of Asgard, because they're his people too. And I just have so much love for Loki. Tom Hiddleston, he just is Loki. The fact that Tom Hiddleston took a role that was literally going to be for that one movie and has extended it, you know, because the fans love Loki and the fans love Loki for a good reason, because, you know, he's easy on the eye and he's just really fun to watch. But he doesn't lose any of that fun, like you say, by losing the trickster. And by actually agreeing with his brother and siding with his brother, he still doesn't lose that actual yeah. Loki-ness, if you know what I mean. Um, oh, absolutely. Completely agree. Like, that, when he's vulnerable, it's like, it's a side to him that you don't expect. Like, like as I said, he could easily be this one-dimensional, cackling villain, moustache-twirling you know, like, kind of like what he was in the first Avengers, where he was a bit, he was, like, he was good. Like, we all liked him. He was charismatic. He was charismatic as, as a villain. But, you know, there's only a certain level that you can go to where you, where you like that. Whereas this, like, you're right. Like, it isn't the original, it isn't this Loki in the TV series. But this one gave us a sort of a scope or a view of how far he could actually go and how much character development he could have. So that by the time we watched the TV series, we knew that he had the potential in him. We knew he had that yeah. vulnerability, that sense of long, uh, you know, loneliness and like he doesn't belong. And, you know, it was it certainly played out in this. And, yeah, my God, Tom Hiddleston, what an actor. Like, like you're right. Like, to, yeah, he was originally trying to be the original four, but he's up there in terms of like he was the perfect casting. Like, I can't imagine yeah. anyone else playing this role and us still talking about him. You know, like, I feel like you might have had somebody else in that role and might have been one and done whereas like we still want more i mean he had a whole tv series made about him like he's he's that good so yeah 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 and of course marvel are gonna utilize tom hiddleston for as long as they can because why wouldn't you because if you have someone like tom hiddleston on your staff you want to use him because he loves this character it's clear that he loves this character and that he wants to be this character I mean, he must have been gutted when he read the script and realised that his character was going to die. But the fact that Loki essentially does sacrifice himself for Thor is just such a wonderful end to his character arc because the Loki that we meet in the first Thor movie would never have done that for Thor. So I just can't praise Tom Hiddleston enough. I can't praise this movie enough. (laughs) I just think it's... It literally does have everything. And it's so pretty. This movie, this is a movie that is full of bright neon colours. It like pops, you know, you've got these greens, you've got reds, you've got blues. The visuals on Sakaar are beautiful. Even down to like the little parade that they're having in the streets for Hulk. And you've got all these little green flares going off. It's just, it's just so pretty. It's like... Everything about this movie is like 80s synth. I mean, we could talk about the music in a bit because we need to talk about the music as well because the music is also brilliant. Another character that we get in this movie is Hulk. Yep. And the evolution of Hulk is also really, really interesting because this is kind of the first time that we actually really spend time with Hulk as a character. 
yeah. and get to actually see what Hulk thinks and to actually get a character that is essentially, for all intents and purposes, a toddler in this huge green body. It's but, so funny you say that because I remember somebody saying that at the time. It's like Hulk's like basically been alive for two years at this point sort of thing where he's you know been in existence for two to three years as just the Hulk. So he is like a toddler. I remember reading that somewhere and being like, that's funny. I now have a toddler that is Hulk. And my gosh, if she was the size of Hulk, it would be terrifying. She, no, mine, no, mine. I do what I want. Fanny does what she wants. Like, she is the Hulk. She is the Hulk. And it's such an accurate representation of, yep, I'm just going to do what I want. Don't care what anyone else says. Just, I'm the center of the universe. And it's, oh, it's amazing to see it in this, in this film, to see the interactions between him and Thor, who is a man-child in a lot of ways still in this movie. It's just, it's so great. It kind of makes so much sense that Hulk has had control of this body for two years at this point of course he's not going to want bruce banner to come back because banner banner is bad like banner is the worst as far as he's concerned because banner's been in control i don't like banner no you're my favorite you're my favorite (laughs) (laughs) there's just so many quality lines in this movie this is the first time that we actually get because we we do get odd words like you get puny god in avengers I think maybe you get a couple more words in Age of Ultron. But generally, Hulk doesn't really say very much, and he never has. So to get Hulk actually communicating verbally with someone else, you know, despite a a limited vernacular, Mm. is really fascinating for for that character and how that character thinks and what that character wants. Because all he wants is to be there. You know, he just doesn't want Banner to come back. So you kind of get this really interesting dynamic between him and Banner and who's in control and taking away the whole kind of Professor Hulk thing because obviously that's in the future and that's also kind of a bit weird that they kind of reach that agreement and we don't see why they reach that agreement. But in the here and now, you know, they are very much two individuals sharing this body. Um, yeah. Yeah, it certainly gives him a little bit of development there where he, he even says to Thor, he goes, oh, Earth hate Hulk. And whereas, like, he's on this planet where they love him, you know? They're cheering his yeah. name in the streets. They're having parades for him. You know, he goes into arena and everyone loves him. It's the opposite. He, you know, he smashes up Earth. Everyone goes mental and says, you know, well, this guy shouldn't be here. Whereas we get, um, yeah, just this love and adoration for him. So you can see you can see why. You know, you can see absolutely why. And especially because Banner would spend all of his time just suppressing him and not wanting him to come out. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is very, very much toddler behaviour. And I love it. Yes. I genuinely love it. I love that this movie basically has a large green toddler. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's great. Have you read Planet Hulk, just out of interest? Uh, what do you think? <laughs> was that a stupid question? Oh, was yes, that like, I have. Was yeah. that like the dumbest question ever? It's up there. It's, it's, it's okay. up there. Um, yeah, okay. it's, it's a... Gr- <laughs> no, just one oh, up. Um, it's... Yeah, it's, it's a great storyline. Like, basically, the Avengers, well, you know, uh, they've got a secret cabal sort of thing um, where it's like Tony Stark, Mr. Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Professor X, Hobbit, um, I can't remember who else, Doctor Strange. They all come together and they go, okay, Hulk's too much of a problem. Let's get him off the planet. So they put him on a spaceship and they just shoot him off into space and go, good luck. See you later, Hulk. You've been too much of an issue here on Earth. And he lands on Sakaar and he's like, he has full conversations. Like, he's like, you know, like a probably a 10 year old by this point sort of thing so he's like you know he lands on this planet he becomes rises up becomes the greatest gladiator and then he basically usurps the government and they 
have and him and Korg, Korg's in it, so is Meek. They basically have a massive revolution and then just sort of uh, take over. Yeah. And then So they did print enough pamphlets for that then? They yeah, they did. They did. They had more than just their mum show up. They had quite a few people show up to that one. They have a revolution and then uh the follow on story from that's where War Hulk, where Hulk goes back to Earth and says, I'm back for vengeance and uh yeah, that one's awesome as well. I just wanted to know, because I assumed that you had Red Planet Hulk. And obviously I decided to ask a stupid question and made myself look dumb, but it's cool, you know. I didn't ask you that before we started and I probably should have. Um, you know, that's oh, on me. Fine. But it's fine. <laughs> This is what I love the most about um, people that are like, oh, I've never read the comics, so I don't really know what was going on sort of thing. It's just like, even if you read the comics, you don't really know what's going on. Like the, This Sakaar battle, Thor doesn't show up in World War Hulk, or Planet Hulk, I should say. He doesn't show up in any of that. Like, they, they just take like loving little snippets of it and go, that's a great idea. And then they put it into a film and they make it something new and completely different. Winter Soldier's a good example of that. Civil War's a great example of that. The Civil War in the comics, vastly different from the Civil War in the um, MCU. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Age of Ultron. That was literally just the name, Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't think they took anything from the actual Age of Ultron. They were just like, no. yeah, we kind of like the name though, so we'll just take that. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah, but yeah. It, it is. It's picking and choosing uh, what they want. But I'm really glad that they actually do have Hulk in this movie mm. because the dynamic between Thor and Hulk is... I mean, it's it's hilarious because everything is hilarious in this movie. But I think it's it's really good that Thor kind of has this sort of mini epiphany where he goes to Sakaar. He is basically said, "Look, you know, you're gonna be in this this tournament. This is like the Grandmaster. This is what he does, and you're gonna face his champion." And then he finds out it's Hulk, and he's like, "Oh, mate, you know, where have you been? What's been going on?" And Hulk's just like. I'm just going to punch you in the face because, you know, that's his job. I really, really love that we get Hulk in this movie and I really love that we get a chance to spend a bit of time with Hulk. We get to spend a bit of time with Banner as well because I love Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo yeah. is He's brilliant great. and yeah. and wonderful. And again, it's, it's a character that gets a fair amount of screen time sort of throughout the Avengers movies, but... Because we're never going to get a full-on Hulk movie, at, at this time anyway, it's really good that this character actually had a bit more to do just generally in the MCU as Hulk. Instead of just Smash. Because, you know, he's good at Smashing. He's great at Smashing. Yeah. But it, it's nice to kind of get that development that's not just Smash, but there is also quite a bit of Smash as well. Absolutely. My, my biggest, uh, I don't know, like... I don't know what you call it, not, not regret, but something along those lines is that um, is that we didn't get uh, Ruffalo in the first in the Incredible Hulk. Like instead, we got Ed Norton's version, which was just so weirdly maligned. Like it's still an alright film, but I think if we'd had Ruffalo in that role, man, that film would have rocked. So yeah. The other person that we really do need to dwell on, and there's so many people in this movie that we actually need to talk about, but I really want to talk about Valkyrie, and I want to talk about how awesome Tessa Thompson is, and I also want to say. It feels to me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but does it feel to you that Tessa Thompson has been in the MCU since day one? Because it feels to me like Valkyrie's always been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. She naturally fits into the cinematic universe. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, yeah, I mean, trigger alert for 
purists of the comic books, but Valkyrie in the comic is the most whitest of the white. She's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. Or the Valkyrie group, and there's like a couple of different ones that have sort of used their name as Valkyrie, but the original one that she's based on is basically, yeah, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed type of girl. And to have her, like Tessa Thompson, come in, who obviously isn't that, and to own this role was like amazing. Like I'm all for it, obviously, but she is just phenomenal. And she just fits in so well. And ah, uh, just like just the first scene you see her, like I mentioned before, when she comes out of her ship and everything doesn't work, she falls off the runway because she's too drunk, you know. And I was like, this woman rocks. Like, this woman is amazing, you know. Every time I watch a movie with Tessa Thompson in where she doesn't have the Valkyrie accent, it seems weird to me. Yes. Because yeah. I expect her to sound like Valkyrie. And obviously she's American, so she doesn't sound like Valkyrie in real life. But yeah. that's that's what I expect. Because this was the first thing I saw Tessa Thompson in. And so now I am like, she is Valkyrie. She's always Valkyrie. Yeah. And it feels like she's always been Valkyrie. And then you kind of realise, no, actually, she debuted in this movie. And then you're like, but, but did she though? <laughs> it doesn't seem because right, it just, eh? It just does not seem right, yeah. She, like you say, she, she's, so she fits into this world so well. She is so brilliant in this role she literally doesn't care she has this kind of history of being a valkyrie of asgard and obviously she was there when hella was there before she knows all about who hella is hella obviously decimated the valkyrie and um valkyrie escaped and has been you know living on sakar working as a scrapper she kind of has this kind of sweet relationship with grandmaster where grandmaster's obviously very fond of her which i I mean, it's Jeff Goldblum. And again, so many incredible people in this movie. And then, yeah. you, then you say, oh, and Jeff Goldblum's in it as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so much to love. She just literally lights up the screen, but she does it in such a way. She's on, the character's so nonchalant. And like you say, she's drunk all the time and she's clearly numbing her pain, the pain that she's been suffering with for all of these centuries, probably. I can't remember if it tells us exactly how long ago it was that, Hella was imprisoned, but because it, it's been a while, basically. Well, so if, um, if four's five thousand years old, and he doesn't remember her. Then that means Hella's been imprisoned for at least five thousand years old, or five thousand years, sort of thing. Because she even says to uh, Odin, I mean, she says to Thor, he's like, they imprisoned me so they could have you, sort of thing. So she must be at least five thousand years. Yeah. Okay. So, Marvel yeah. nerd! That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Nerd alert! Yeah. But yeah, that, that is why you're here. And I'm so glad that you're here. She's amazing. Jeff Goldblum mm. as the Grandmaster is so good. The whole Prisoners with Jobs. Prisoners with Jobs, yeah. You can yeah, tell that was all of that. that was brilliant. Yeah. yeah, there's so much good stuff in this movie. And then I'm, I'm kind of looking at the time and I'm kind of thinking, well, we've got still got so much to talk about. We do. Because we, we haven't even talked about Korg. On, no. and, and to a lesser extent, Meek. But Korg, just to kind of go back to what we said uh, when we were talking about Hela, there's a wonderful meme from this movie, from the making of this movie, where you've got Kate Blanchett in her full kind of Hela outfit, standing over Taika Waititi, like they're looking at something on an iPad. And it's like a proper powerful wife kind of meme. And I love it. I, I, I just love it. But then... When you're talking about like general memes or, or gifs of this movie, I mean, this movie is so gifable. Mm. But Korg is just genuinely starting his revolution, not printing enough pamphlets, all of that piss off ghost. 
It's just, there's just, the, he's great. And it, this is Taika Waititi. And this is what I love about Taika Waititi. Just generally, I've not seen all of his movies, but the movies that I have seen, I have just fallen in love with just immediately. Like what we do in the shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People. And and even uh, to, a, to a degree, Jojo Rabbit, which yeah. is, you know, that that's obviously um, a, a movie with, with very kind of deep and dark themes at its core. And then there you have Taika Waititi playing a fictional version of Adolf Hitler. And then you're like, should I be laughing at this? Well, actually, yes, because Taika Waititi, I believe, is part Jewish. He is. So he's, he's he, Jewish dad and Maori um, mum. So he, he basically yeah. said, what better person to you know honour the history and the memory of Hitler than a Jewish, half-Jewish Polynesian person, which I thought was like... <laughs> Good on you. you. He got it, you know, and then there's a photo of him standing in front of a photo of Hitler and he's just doing the fingers at him sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, this is what he does. And I think this is why he's so brilliant. But he does tend to take roles in his own movies, even if they are small roles. Him as Korg, and, you know, maybe to a lesser degree Serta, but to be honest, I didn't even realise that he was mocap for Serta until I looked into this uh, into the making of this movie. But... Korg is, again, one of those characters who just kind of feels like he's always been there, yeah. somehow. <laughs> it's it's quite funny because he... Like, another Taika Waititi film is Boy. And in Boy, it's funny because he pulls a painting back and there's a swastika on the wall and he looks at his son and he goes, don't get into the Nazi stuff. And it was like a bit of foreshadowing of doing Jojo Rabbit. And then at one point, his one of his sons thinks he's Hulk and he tries to Hulk out and turn into the Hulk. But the funniest part about that film was that Taika Waititi throughout the entire of the film keeps getting stoned. He keeps smoking weed, keeps getting stoned. And I like look, talk about foreshadowing. Here he is, the most stoned we've ever seen Taika Waititi. He's a giant stone rock monster. <laughs> it was amazing. Yes. He is very stoned in this movie. Very um, stoned. And obviously, you you alluded in your in your very funny introduction about all of the gags that that Cork kind of comes out with. Which I mean, I'm I'm assuming that Taika Waititi again ad libbed quite a lot of this stuff because Hell it just yeah. kind of feels like very ad libbed stuff with the rock paper scissors and uh, the bit where like a rock kind of falls off him and he's like, oh, you know, there goes another one kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I obviously, yeah, love Korg in this film. It's funny for us as New Zealanders because representation of New Zealanders on Hollywood screens doesn't happen very often, you know. Uh, we got to see Julian Dennison, who was in Taika Waititi's Hunt for the Wilder People, pop up in Deadpool 2. So, you know, we're starting to see slowly but surely, like Sam Neill, but Sam Neill was never playing a New Zealander. So to, to this is the closest we got to seeing, <laughs> to seeing New Zealanders represented in a, in a Marvel Cinematic Universe was basically voicing a giant rock guy. So it was awesome. It was awesome <laughs> for us. Although I must admit, like, the rest of the world finds them funny, whereas for, like, me and one of my other mates who was also a mouldy sort of walked out and it was just like, it's kind of like your, your drunk uncle at a family reunion who, you know, starts off kind of funny and by the end you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there was a level of that, but there was a level of that. Like, certainly at the end there where he's like... Oh, no, Mick's dead. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yep, same jokes as before. But it's still oh, so so good. And then Korg in the, in the next two films, it is um, it is phenomenal to say that we've had a giant rock creature in three MCU films, and none of them have been the thing. So there you go. It's, um, it's quite unique. Yes. Yeah. Well, Marvel do have the rights now to the Fantastic Four. Absolutely. Um, and so it's pretty inevitable that we will get a Fantastic Four movie 
at some point, perhaps in the near future, perhaps Kevin yeah. Feige, perhaps. Oh, we have. We're seeing teasers for it, so yeah. I feel like if they are going to model that character on anything else that they currently have, I mean, Korg is probably the best thing to model on. I mean, it would be awesome if Korg could like make a little cameo and he could be all like, hey man, you know, <laughs> didn't expect to see you here kind of thing. That would yeah. be funny. I don't think they're going to do that, but um, but yeah, that that would be very funny. It's always nice to see Taika Waititi just generally in anything because he's awesome. He's proven, he didn't need to prove anything from this movie, but I kind of feel like Marvel historically have had issues with certain directors in a sense that, like, for example, Edgar Wright uh, was going to do Ant-Man and Mm. then... He didn't do Ant-Man anymore. We were going to have Patty Jenkins do Thor The Dark World and then that didn't happen. That annoyed Natalie Portman. There have been a lot of instances in the past where directors have worked with Marvel and they've either chosen not to work with Marvel again or have, you know, ended up leaving the production for undisclosed reasons or created differences or whatever. And I, I really love that some people kind of working with Marvel and I feel like, I feel this way about Taika Waititi He's just kind of given his opportunity to do what he wants, but within that Marvel template. Yeah, like, it's not straying too far from what Marvel want, but it's still a Taika Waititi movie. And it's very much the same with James Gunn as well. Like, they brought James Gunn in to do Guardians of the Galaxy, and it, he made a James Gunn movie. It feels like a James Gunn movie, but it still doesn't stray too far from that Marvel template that, that they want. And, you know, I do have every intention to do the Guardians of the Galaxy movies at some point because I love those movies as well. I have a real, real fondness for those movies because I have a real fondness for James Gunn. But, yeah, there was there was kind of no question in my mind for this particular season that I wanted to do Thor. And that's why you've been waiting so patiently all the way over in New Zealand. You've been Yay. sitting there every day for the last year you know, marking off dates in your calendar, you know, it's 364 days till I get to do Thor Ragnarok, 363 days till I get to do Thor Ragnarok, etc, etc. And now, finally, is your chance to shine. It's been a lot of fun to talk about Thor Ragnarok. We're not finished, by the way. <laughs> it, sounds like I'm, it sounds like I'm wrapping up and go, right, well, thanks, Sam, for your time, and uh, bye. Yeah, but two weird things out there. Legitimately that. sound like you're wrapping up, and the other one, <laughs> no. knowing that I've been marking my walls, so you must have been watching my live streams, so... Thanks for subscribing Always. to my OnlyFans. I'm very much appreciated. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do pay you that money every month for your OnlyFans. But anyway, we've, we've kind of talked about the themes of this movie in a roundabout way, but also that the changes to Thor, that Thor's strength doesn't actually come from his strength. And, and you obviously mentioned that, you know, he's a character that does admit his weaknesses. Yeah. And basically everything about what he thinks is true is actually false. And so we finish this movie with Thor in an eye patch, mimicking his late father. He doesn't have a hammer and the planet of Asgard is destroyed. And Asgard, it's not a place, it's people. So all of the people are on this ship. And then we get a bigger ship approaching. And obviously we realise in Avengers Infinity War, at the start of that movie, that it is Thanos. And Thanos basically then kills pretty much everyone. (laughs) 
Yeah. That's, that's just been saved in this movie. So from the high of the end of this movie, everyone's safe. Well, most of the people are safe. Quite a lot of people have died. But most of the population of Asgard are safe. They're on this ship. And then we get Thanos. And Infinity War kind of changes a lot of the things that this movie sets up. It kind of retcons quite a lot. Because in Infinity War, Thor goes to Eitri and they make Stormbreaker. The sole purpose of Stormbreaker is to kill Thanos. That's kind of the point. The whole aim for the head and all of that stuff. Um, how do you feel about the changes that they make in Thor Ragnarok and then going pretty much straight into Infinity War and that kind of very tonal shift between, oh, yeah, everyone's happy and there's a Mark Mothersbile 80s synth saw and it's all brilliant. And then, you know, oh, this is going to happen now. It's kind of, it's annoying in some ways, and Marvel does this quite often, is that they give them quite a lot of, like, emotional or physical trauma, and then just basically just, it's gone away by the next film. You know, like, so Tony Hawk, oh, Tony Hawk, <laughs> so Tony Stark has, <laughs> P, so Tony Stark has PTSD in one movie, it's gone by the next. You know, I'm never going to be Iron Man again, oh, I'm Iron Man again. Um, you know, like, Rhodey gets injured in an accident, and he's like, oh, I can't walk, I'm disabled, and he's like, next movie, he's walking around fine, no one notices the difference you know what i mean and and the same with this it's like oh he's turning into odin he's lost his eye and then the next film he's like has his eye back and then there's even that scene and it's sort of it is a bit prickly because they kind of address it but it's kind of weird in infinity war where he's like you know i found out my dad had been hiding all this stuff my sister was a genocidal maniac my brothers died um you know i lost an eye you know oh well you know, got to keep going or what else, what other choice do I have? And it's just like, well, it sort of plays into the character for him, but it's sort of, you know, it is it is a bit like, wow, yeah, he has gone for all the stuff and he seems to be taking on the chin pretty hard. But I mean, obviously we did see the, the turnaround in Endgame where we got fat for, which made me feel, made me feel like he just made me feel, see myself in the, in the cinematic universe. You know what I mean? I saw a representation <laughs> of me as a person. So I was like, hey, it's me. So, you know, thanks for that, Chris Hemsworth. But yeah. <laughs> I think that is a really good point that the character kind of internalizes a lot of his pain just to get through the events of Avengers Infinity War. And then when you do get into Endgame, he is basically full on mental health troubles, you know, full on PTSD. He's really struggling by that point, And you can really tell that the character is struggling. One of the kind of gripes that I have about Endgame is that it trivializes that a little yeah. bit too much. You know, there's a little too many fat jokes for me. I did kind of mention that in the episode that I did on Avengers Endgame. But overall, I actually kind of like that the character went in that direction to just kind of show when you go through traumatic stuff, it does affect you. You can't keep internalising all of your pain and your trauma. It has to kind of come out yeah. eventually. And it obviously does for Thor. But it's just that kind of very tonal shift of this movie is so fun and bright and that Mark Mothersbaugh score is just so incredible it's one of my favorite scores I think of any Marvel movie ever pretty much I absolutely love the score of this movie we have Immigrant Song twice yes. in this movie and it's brilliant and Led Zeppelin don't license their music out so the fact that Togo Waititi got Kate Blanchett and Jeff Goldblum and all of these incredible people working behind the scenes on this movie and 
said to Led Zeppelin, oh, you know, can we have Immigrant Song? And they were like, yeah, sure, why not? You yeah. know, it just, I love it so much. Obviously, you, you kind of sang a little bit of your own version of Immigrant Song. <laughs> kind of as a good Which version. was amazing. I, I got amazing, by I the way. Admit, I was like, I even said this to my wife before I recorded it. I was like, how funny would it be if just randomly throughout the podcast, I'm like... <laughs> she was like, I think Em will get pretty sick of that pretty quickly. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. No, I won't. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed that you haven't done that. Just oh, like randomly yeah. in the middle of conversation. I and just go, ah! But like... It was funny because we, we watched, as I said, watched it last night and then I watched the, the four scenes out of Endgame and uh, Infinity War when he pops up and fights Thanos and stuff. And I was like, oh, these are awesome. But like, you know, like my wife was happy when it came on last night because, you know, as soon as it started up, it was like she hadn't seen her husband this energized as well. <laughs> you know, I was like <laughs> jumping around the room, swinging my hammer. You know, I was having a good time. <laughs> so it was cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's like. It's awesome because if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it's based on Norse mythology. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's a perfect pairing, you know, like yeah. absolutely perfect pairing. And like some people would say it's on the nose and those people are just absolutely wrong because it's so perfect for this. It's just the, just the Blanchett smug look of, tell me brother, what are you the god of again? Oh, like sparkles. <laughs> so, I love it. You know, it was amazing. Just thinking about this movie just makes me grin like an idiot. Yeah. Like just thinking of individual scenes like that just really elicits so much joy. And again, I I feel like I keep saying this, but this movie is so pretty. It's, it's so, so pretty. visually yeah. stunning. Like even like I'm not a huge fan of cg like i never really have been i always talk on this podcast about practical effects and blah 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 all of that stuff but the cg in this movie is really really good like it's it's real quality cg i feel like every company that worked on this movie was like a game when it came to the visual effects in this movie even little things like the rainbow bridge the rainbow bridge just looks brighter than it did in the other movies and i don't know whether that's just maybe me thinking that it looks brighter. But even Fenrir, yes, it is a massive big puppy dog. He doesn't really look that menacing, I'll be honest. He just looks like a really cute dog. It's all just so well realised. The fireworks, the... Oh, we haven't even haven't even mentioned Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka plays. Oh, yes. yeah. Again, it's like, how did they think of putting Pure Imagination in that scene? Because it is just everything... It feels like so much thought has been put into this movie, into like, you know, every little visual thing, every audible thing. So much thought has been put in. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like this movie was taxing for anyone. Like it feels like everyone just had a blast. Everyone enjoyed themselves. You know, it feels like maximum effort. <laughs> minimal effort was kind of used to achieve that maximum effort because it feels just like so casual. Yeah. If you know what I mean, if that makes sense. Absolutely, um, yeah. Basically, what we're saying about this movie is just because something is a bit daft and a bit silly and bright and colourful and funny, it doesn't mean that it has no depth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can have both. You can have it all. And this movie has it all, yep. as far as I'm concerned. I love it. Same. So, Sam, you know from listening to this podcast that I do something every episode and you also know that I requested of you something that I like to do which is the obligatory Keanu reference which is where I try and link 
the movie that I'm featuring with the one and only Keanu Reeves. Now, Keanu Reeves, historically, when it comes to Marvel movies, is a very tricky character mm-hmm. because yeah. he's been reported that he's going to be in Marvel movies. Quite a lot of clickbait articles about him. Oh, he's going to be this character. He's going to be that character. And it obviously never happens. So I've always really struggled with Marvel movies. Uh, and obviously I did exceptionally well with Thor and Thor The Dark World because they have been recorded. Yes. Um, <laughs> they were amazing. But um, I asked of you... I said, Sam, if you want to come on this podcast, you need to do an obligatory Keanu reference. And you were very confident. You were just like, yeah, it's cool. I've got this. Absolutely. So I am really expecting great things from you now. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna put some pieces out there and I'm going to see if you can work out and put the puzzle together. So, oh, it... Jesus. This, is, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I told you that, you know, the revolution has begun. But oh, okay. this is a movie about aliens, right? Thor is basically an alien. So... As you mentioned, there is a scene in uh, Doctor Strange that was directed by Taika Waititi, which was the scene where um, Doctor Strange, who we haven't discussed, but Doctor Strange and Thor meet, and they have the never-ending glass of beer, blah, 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 etc., right? Who is the director of Doctor Strange? Scott Derrickson. And what movie has Keanu Reeves played an alien in? Um... The remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. And who directed The Day the Earth Stood Still? Was it Scott Derrickson? It's Scott Derrickson. There you go. <laughs> Actually, that's quite decent. Yeah. I am reasonably impressed there you go. Uh, there with you go. this. Yeah. I will take it. I mean, to be honest, I have said in previous guest episodes that literally, even if they said oh, Keanu Reeves was an actor working at this time in Hollywood, then I would have accepted it. Because <laughs> because I never expect guests to go to kind of the same level of Keanu obsession yeah. that I do. But I, I'm genuinely impressed with this, Sam. You've excelled yourself. Oh, and to be you. honest, I'm just glad that I knew the answers to the questions. Yeah, there you go. Because we go. did not prepare this. If you didn't. I would have been disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I was thinking about the other ones like you mentioned, like he's been rumoured to play Silver Surfer and a whole bunch of other stuff. But then I thought, no, Scott Derrickson. There we go, Scott Derrickson. There's the tying factor. So, yeah. That, that is good. And I like that you linked in, you know, Doctor Strange, who we obviously haven't mentioned. But to be honest, he's not really in the movie for very long. So I kind of feel like there's not really much point. And it is essentially just a, a cameo. But, it, I mean, it is nice that Doctor Strange gets to interact with Thor and Loki gets to fall for 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, uh, which is nice. Cool. So it feels like this is like a really good time to kind of, you know, wrap everything up. Obviously, you are now confirmed to come back for Thor Love and Thunder. Yes. So we know we don't need to talk about Thor Love and Thunder because A, it's not out yet. And B, it, we know it's going to be awesome. And also, Natalie Portman is going to be returning for Thor Love and Thunder, which I'm really excited about. There is a Thor series in which Jane Foster becomes Thor. So that I highly recommend it. It is flipping phenomenal comic series. I'll send you some links. If you, if you so happen to want to jump on this, I'll send you some links some comic series you should read, which are really, really good. There is literally no point having much set on Earth because Earth is... We don't care about Earth in this movie. We just care about everything else oh, so and, and didn't jane yeah. dump him or he jumped dump jane no it was a mutual dumping it was mutual dumping <laughs> <laughs> no jane definitely dumped him oh, or did. i mean would you though if no. you were going out with thor would you really dump him i don't think you would I wouldn't dump him he'd make, he'd make me feel safe <laughs> i wouldn't 
didn't even dump Loki. No. <laughs> I am all about the bad boys. And that is why, everyone, I am single. Because <laughs> bad boys are no good for you. Um, anyway, anyway, enough of that. You will return for Thor, Love and Thunder. But for now, I guess all that's kind of left to say is thank you so much. You have been amazing, as I knew that you would be. Oh. Um, I knew that this discussion would be so much fun and I knew that you would bring the knowledge because I know you're a huge Marvel nerd and I love that about you because people love Marvel nerds. Like, genuinely, the the bigger the Marvel nerd, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, yeah, just amazing. Thank you so much and thank you for being so patient as well with my schedule. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. No, this has been absolutely my pleasure and I haven't heaped as much praise on you as Nick Haskins did but I don't think anyone could come close to it. <laughs> I, I mean, no, I love no your podcast, could. M. I love it so much. You're great. You're an amazing person. You're an awesome individual. Uh, I've loved every time you've guested on ep- our episodes. If people want to come and listen to M on our podcast, she did Pacific Room and she did The Mummy. The Mummy was incredibly contentious because one of our hosts is a crazy yes. person. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's been, it's been absolutely I love you, Liz. I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of it, yeah. What I would like for you to do, if you would, well, I assume you would like to, is basically please tell everyone who's listening to this where they can find your amazing podcast. And I genuinely, genuinely love your podcast. It is always hilarious. Always kind of brightens my day a little bit to kind of listen to you guys, apart from when Kahu slates Keanu Reeves. I'm not upset. Like I said, I'm just disappointed in Kahu. Um, And despite Liz's ridiculous theories and, and ideas about the mummy, I love her too. And basically just, just like love everything that you do. Oh, Every, you. Everyone on movie reviews and 20Qs and everything that you do. Oh. So I want you to tell people where they can find your amazing podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the podcast is called Movie Reviews and 20Qs. The 20 is spout two zero, So the number's not like spout out with T-W-E, whatever. Um, yeah, and that's that's the podcast. We take a movie, we ask twenty questions about it. We usually run for about an hour. And uh, if you're thinking it's going to be like, what sort of themes was the director playing for? What, what you know, what was the most important use of color, all that sort of stuff? Nah, none of that. We want to know what flavor pizza the movie is. We want to know where Nicolas Cage should be inserted. We want to know what quote from that film would be the worst thing to hear after you finished having sex. It's stuff like that. It's really just sort of. Um, off the wall, absurd sort of questions about a film, but uh, we still try to add some deep and poignant ones in there so that you get sort of a round-rounded discussion. So we do offer critical analysis of the film, but interspersed with that is just stupidity. So that's pretty much the podcast. So it's basically the Thor Ragnarok of movie podcasts. Please don't cut my hair, old man. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't said where they can find you. <laughs> Ah, oh, just, yeah, Google movie reviews in, you, or, you know, search on your podcast at movie reviews in. That'll probably be the one place you could dun, 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 that you'll find us. And if you type 20 after it, then dun, 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 you should be able to find us. So, yeah, sweet. I try to do it again, but I'm like, I, I, I've been talking for two hours. I don't think I can hit that pitch again. No, I could smack I myself in the, uh, oh, what's the safe word for? I could smack myself in the never regions and probably try and have a go at it, but I'll, uh, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave that. Oh, this has been amazing. This has been so much fun. Uh, I can't wait to come back on your podcast. I can't wait for you to come back on this podcast. Yes. Um, so we will we will arrange that for whenever Thor, Love and Thunder 
decides to come out at some point. I believe it's it's late next year, I think. Yeah, it keeps getting pushed. I think it's pushed. November or something. They're toying with my emotions, um, Tyker. You're toying with what you hear me. I know he listens to this podcast. Tyker Waititi, you're toying with Of emotions. course he does. He's he's my biggest fan, probably. Mm, mm. I'm his biggest fan. Mm, yeah. uh, I'm also your biggest fan. Ooh. So thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Thor Ragnarok. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can help this podcast to grow and be noticed by others by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or now on Spotify. You can also retweet or like posts on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. Please give me a follow and say hi, especially if you like Thor Ragnarok. You can also simply just tell your friends or family about this podcast. If you like this episode of Thor Ragnarok specifically, you might also like one of the following Thor-centric episodes of this podcast. Episode 97, The Avengers. Episode 98, Avengers Age of Ultron. Episode 99, Avengers Infinity War. Episode 100, Avengers Endgame. Episode 128, Thor. Or 129, Thor The Dark World. All of which, well, have the character of Thor in them. Give me feedback on my recommendations. Do you think I got it right? Do you think I missed anything? I don't think I missed anything, but let me know if you think I did. If you want to support this podcast financially, you're under no obligation and you never will be. But if you do, you can sign up to support the show at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. As always, a huge, huge thank you to the patrons of this podcast. I could not do what I do without their support. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek... Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, and brand new patron Stuart, who joined like a bus travelling on the freeway at 50 mile an hour on the Jack Traven tier on the Patreon, because becoming a patron of this podcast, that's what heroes do. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can email me if you want to give a general hello, or feedback or some suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also pop over to the website verbaldiorama.com. And I'm also at filmstories.co.uk. I write articles for the website. I also write for the magazine as well. I had a thought uh, about doing like some sort of like outro together, but I couldn't think of something that was good enough. So... <laughs> So I haven't kind of prepared anything. That's but, fine. That's fine. Don't worry about that, Im. That's all good. Um, yeah, I, I kind of have. I did have a look at like some quotes and stuff, but nothing kind of really, kind of popped out as as being good enough for ending this podcast on. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to do anything specific, and I'll just end the podcast on it. No, you just say bye and then I'll, or... I'll do something. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, well, I won't do all like my general kind of spiel stuff, but I'll I'll just say bye. Dun, 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 dun. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had one left in me. There we go. <laughs> hey, listeners, sun's getting real low, real, real low. <laughs> bye. <laughs> And stop. Movie should know. Movie should know.